there's nothing planned in life. When you make plans, God laughs. Is that the expression? I don't know. It's like some Woody Allen thing. I don't know. God laughs and says, hey, want to watch the weirdest porn you've ever seen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello, welcome to Sex Lives, New York Magazine's podcast about sex. I'm Maureen O'Connor, and usually on this podcast, we talk about what happens before sex, be it flirting, dating, manipulating people on Tinder. We talk about what happens during sex. We talk about the emotional fallout of sex, but rarely do we talk about the most obvious consequence of sex, pregnancy. So with me today in studio is a pregnant woman. Her name is EJ Dixon. She's a features editor at Romper, a parenting website for millennials. And she's currently seven and a half months pregnant. Is that right? Yep. You married your husband when you were already pregnant. Yes. Is that an okay thing to talk about? You can talk about literally anything. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> can you tell me about A, how you realized you were pregnant and B, if that was connected to the decision whether or not to marry? We have been together for eight years. We have been remarkably careless for about five of them. Um, we didn't think that we could have kids because we had been so careless for so long that we were like, well, it probably would have happened by now, right? So, like, why not keep going? It was definitely not an instance of, like, oh, I was really judicious and using contraception and my IUD mm-hmm. failed or something like that. Like, it was it was a flat-out, like, accident. Um, <laughs> and I found out I took a pregnancy test in June at my office, actually. Um, and I had taken a bunch of pregnancy tests before <laughs> at my office, actually. And, um, you know, never never came up positive. So I was kind of astounded to see that was the case this time. Was it like your period was late or you were just being panicky? It was my boobs, honestly. Yeah. yeah. It's, my boobs had gotten a lot bigger. That was the first clue. They had just huh. exploded like overnight. And I didn't know that was a symptom, but apparently... <laughs> It is. Why did you do your pregnancy tests at work? Out of a matter of convenience. I just went to the pharmacy and picked it up. Didn't want to wait until I got home. So it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like this was not the rom-com, like, I'm so nervous, hold my hand. You just were kind of like, all right, I've got a lunch break. Let's go do this. I was 100% convinced it was going to turn out negative. Oh. Yeah, because it always had in the past. Yeah. Um, so what? Know. how did you react when it was positive? Just the fact that we could conceive together, I would say, was really emotional for me. I think I cried, actually. Like, oh, wow. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was predominantly positive. And then I just kind of had to take a step back and be like, okay, what am I doing from here? What was the answer to that? Uh, it took a while. Um, we had to talk about it pretty thoroughly. Um, I think a couple years ago, I probably would have made a decision that was different than the one I made now, to be perfectly honest. Um, about keeping the baby? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because my career was in a good place and we were about to get married. And it was really something that my mother-in-law said that kind of swayed me um, because I just kept saying, this is bad timing. This is bad timing. Like, we're getting married in four months. This is bad timing. And she was just like, you know, it's never going to be good timing. If this is something that you want, eventually this might be the best time to do it. And you don't know because nothing's ever going to be perfect. And that kind of convinced me, I would Mm -hmm. say. The article you wrote that sort of got me really excited to talk to you about pregnancy and also sort of clued me in, in addition to my usual social media stalking of your pregnancy and your life. Thank you. um, I'm so flattered. (laughs) Was a Fusion article called The Truth About Masturbating While Pregnant. I saw that headline and immediately thought, oh, I've read a million articles about sex while pregnant. Why have I never read anything about masturbation while pregnant? 
Can you tell me about what inspired you to write that and what you discovered? <laughs> it's a pretty gross answer. <laughs> Go <laughs> for it. That's Honestly. why we're here. Yeah, I guess so. Um, so what I found when I during my pregnancy, um, because I, I, too, had seen a lot of articles about sex during pregnancy, but very few about masturbation during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And what I found was that my sex drive was like way up. Like I was like fourth grade boy horny, like 100 percent of the time. But I did not want to have sex, like partner sex. I Why? Just, the self-conscious. I mean, your body just changes so, so fast. And so I, I was really self-conscious about that. My husband was like pretty supportive of it the whole time. But like I, you know, couldn't. It was difficult to overcome at first. Uh huh. Your sexual life morphed somewhat in that you find yourself super horny all the time, but more into masturbation than sex. Yes. Has your masturbatory life itself changed? Yes. <laughs> to just get real fucking personal with this. How so? Oh, my God. Um. Yes. My tastes have gotten disgusting. Just like, what? like how so? There are just certain things. Well, I mean, so I wouldn't really watch porn like prior mm-hmm. to getting pregnant. I didn't have like a problem with porn at all. Yeah. It was just like it was didn't appeal to me personally on that level because, you know, I thought my imagination was better. Or whatever bullshit. But I'm super into porn now and I'm super into like porn that I would never be into. Like really hardcore shit. And like hardcore how? Just like giant gangbangs with like a million dudes and like a bunch of like really small blonde women. And I'm just like, why am I into this? Like, why am I clicking on this? Well, that's so crazy. Why do you think? I think that pregnancy makes your hormones. It's a hormonal thing. I don't know. It's not something I would ever have been interested in prior to pregnancy. But I think it it turns you into like a man in a weird way. Wait, that's really crazy because it's also like if one were to have this sounds like the kind of porn that people are like, well, on an evolutionary sense, like women are prey and men are predators, which is like a narrative I do not like whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And yet it sounds like there's some kind of like visceral power fucking that's interesting you. I, it's everything. It's not even yeah. that. It's ev- <laughs> it's everything. Yeah. It's like it's like big boobs. Like, for some reason, are super interesting to me. Like, I, I want to see, like, porn with ladies with big boobs. Well, maybe it's because you have a lady with big boobs now. I, I feel like having huge tits is something, like, every woman secretly wants. But I'm not a big fan. The look fan. on your face is telling me no right uh, now. <laughs> I'm, not, I, I'm not a big fan. Has pregnancy altered your sex drive in ways you could not have imagined? Let us know all about it. Call the Sex Lives voicemail box at 646-494-3590. Have other events in your life altered your sexuality or libido in interesting ways? Let us know. 646-494-3590. And while you're at it, give Sex Lives a rating on iTunes. It really helps to spread the word. Okay, back to the show. Has being pregnant and now sort of like undergoing all these changes, has it changed the way you think about sex as somebody who's been thinking about it and writing about it for years now? Yes. I used to think of sex as like a pure biological need. It's something that me and my husband would like fulfill for each other. And it was great. But like I like eating or something that you're like, this is a thing that, you know, at some period it needs to be done and fulfilled. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I I think I think of it as much more emotional now. Mm. Um. And much more of a connectivity activity. Wait, that's interesting because that seems to be sort of polarized. That on one hand, it's more of like an emotional, intimate thing for you. And on the other hand, there's this sort of like 
violent, I don't know, hardcore, just horniness. Yeah, exactly. It's it's this sort of push between two poles. Yeah. Huh. Are your friends having babies around now, too? No, I'm the first. Ah. Yeah. What's that like? It's not great. It's it's very isolating. I mean, at first when I said I was pregnant, I think I actually wrote about this recently um, for New York Mag, actually. They when I first said I was pregnant, the immediate assumption um, among everybody under 40 was that I would have an abortion. And but it was weird because everybody over the age of 40 who I told was basically just took it for granted that. I was getting married and we were going to have the kid. Mm-hmm. And this was at the point when we were like still talking it over and weren't very sure. Yeah. Um, so it was just this very strange age divide huh. in the reaction. Do you think that was related to maybe your own friends just can't fathom themselves raising a child yet? I think so. I think that's predominantly what it was. I think that there's also, I mean, it's a generational thing, right? Like our generation is statistically proven we're we're getting married later we're having kids later there's just a general sense that we're delaying all of these life milestones and i i think it's sort of outside of our framework to think about if you grew up a certain way in a certain cultural milieu Mm -hmm. milieu uh (laughs) the kind of milieu where you might say milieu yeah exactly exactly like basically, the Frenchy pronunciation, yeah. New York, <laughs> New York City media, basically, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that that it's seen as an exceptional choice rather than something that's the norm. That's definitely the impression that I got. You know, I have wondered whether there's something about belonging to the sort of like overscheduled helicopter kid generation or whatever you want to call it, where we're used to this idea of like you need to get all your ducks in a row and do things right. Where I continually talk to people when they say like. You know, people that are engaged or married or that they do plan on having kids with their partner at some point that oftentimes there's sort of a vague sense of like, but we're not ready yet. We need like our lives need to reach a certain point. And I mean, oftentimes, you know, for some of them, I think that things happen relatively according to their plan in the same way you pointed out that a birthing plan is kind of a weird nebulous concept because it never goes according to plan. Mm -hmm. But then I think it's also that that I think when I talk to friends that say react with like, oh, my God, like you can't be keeping it, can you? There's some sense of like, but you don't have your like perfect career and your perfect house yet. You don't have a room yet to put the baby in. But in fact, like, I don't know, those things can come together. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's probably the one thing that I've learned from this whole thing, especially because my per- my professional life was thrown into such tumult, like during my pregnancy at the same time, too. Being that you find yourself seeking a new job. Yeah, I was laid off. Um, and I can talk about it like a little bit. I was I was laid off when in September, September 1st. So I was about four and a half months pregnant. At that point, were you already public with the fact that you were pregnant? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I had told my employer about a month before. Uh-huh. And I have always been the kind of person to just be very career focused and very driven and I saw my identity is very much intertwined with my career. And so now I was in a position where I didn't really have a career or mm-hmm. it was in question. And I was kind of, you know, I saw myself as like mother, like I'm pregnant. That's who I am. I'm curious if you feel like that was heightened by the fact that also your career had for a long time been intertwined with sex, too, and sort of all the possibilities of sex. Since you've been writing about sex, I know you've been editing and dealing with other topics as well. Mm-hmm. Um it seems like everything is sort of tied to your reproductive choices in some crazy way in your career and your personal life. It's true. And it changes really fast. Like there had been I, I was I never really wrote about 
I always kind of envied you for this because, like, you were single for a while. Yeah. And, and you wrote about it a lot. And that's, like, when you're a sex writer, that's... You know what? I, your writing gets better, like it does. As like, I was saying that, I literally was about to say being a single girl writing about sex, and then I realized you actually weren't a single girl. But mm-hmm. I just sort of like, I mean, maybe I just projected that onto you. You were an unmarried person, at least. I felt exactly the same way as your friends did. I felt like, okay, you know, I'm going to get married. I'm going to have a kid when we're 30 or 35, or, you know, I'm and I'm going to have this job, and I'm going to be making this much money, and my husband is going to be making this much money at this job. And it was very much mapped out, like, in the same helicopter kid millennial way that you were talking about. And if anything, what this experience has taught me, because it was unplanned and because I had a wrench thrown in my professional life that was also unplanned, is that it's such a cliche, but, like, you really, there's nothing planned in life. Like, when you make plans, God lasts. Is that the expression? I don't know. It's like some Woody Allen thing. It sounds about right. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. God laughs and says, hey, want to watch the weirdest porn you've ever seen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, if, if anything, that's what this has taught me. My parents were 34 when they had me. So I guess closer to whatever imaginary track I imagined for myself. I remember them like they're having like a sort of sense of like their goals are changing over time. And like I remember seeing my mother when I was young. Sort of, I remember, you know, her telling me to like be quiet and leave her alone because she wanted to write. And, you know, she did like some sort of like freelance journalism stuff and she ended up abandoning it. And she ended up like I remember seeing her sort of have that the equivalent struggle that I see like my friends with now. Mm -hmm. But then I think for me, at least, I feel sort of optimistic about knowing that like she was sort of figuring it out, too. And she what she figured out was probably different than what she thought it would have been in the beginning. But like I remember seeing that also. I don't know if maybe that contributes to my sense that I'm like, it'll be okay. I mean, I think there's a general generational sense that, like, we saw our parents sort of try to figure out, like, or our moms in particular, mm-hmm. like, balancing their work lives and their family lives. And, like, it didn't always look so great. I think that the generation before ours was very much a generation that proved, like, maybe we can't have it all, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because it was, I mean, I, I, I talk about it with my mom a lot. She was a working woman, too. And it was a major source of stress for her and I think that our generation is sort of trying to rectify that by being like okay we'll get the career out of the way first and then we'll get the family out of the way but we're not going to try to have it all because that's just not something that happens or like first I have this and then I'll have that like it needs you know you stack them up in some crazy way yeah yeah because I think there's just a general sense of disillusionment with the idea of having having it all in Mm -hmm. all caps because so many of us saw it sort of go awry. What's it like? I imagine you must be working around a lot of women right now. I am, yes. Compared to, had you worked in a predominantly female workplace before? No. What's it like doing that, especially at a moment when I imagine the concept of womanhood and woman things <laughs> must be on your mind? I mean, it's great. It's it's really supportive. I feel incredibly I mean, I feel incredibly blessed to be working there and I feel incredibly gratified to be working with a bunch of women who have, are going through the same thing. Because honestly, mm-hmm. in this industry, that is not that common, especially, yeah. I mean, unless you're in the higher levels of management and your career is more established and you're in like your 40s or something like I, I don't know anyone in this industry who has had a kid at my age mm-hmm. or who has even thought about it, or I, I know, like, a couple of people who've gotten married, but it's not... 
No, but I mean, are your coworkers now like parents? A lot. Some of them are. Mm-hmm. Some of them are. My boss is expecting, and she should be having the baby any day now. Um, and it's really nice. It's really nice to be in that environment because it's very isolating just socially to be with a bunch of people and want to talk so badly about your disgusting nipples and your disgusting pee problems <laughs> and like, you know, whether or not you're going to breastfeed or whether or not you're going to co-sleep. And and no one wants to talk about that. They want to yeah. talk about, you know, their dates. So I it's good that I am in a workplace where that is literally my job to talk about that. <laughs> it's great. That's amazing to also just have straight gone from the environment where you're writing about like the sex industry in terms of like Tinder and dating and all that. And now you're like, all right, here we go. Not going to talk about Tinder anymore. We're talking about like nipples and breast pumps. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of the natural consequence of it. right? (laughs) Like you were saying before, like that's that's sort of like if you write about sex, that's the ultimate direction that you're going. I used to always have this (laughs) joke that's like half joke, half not a joke, um, that people are like, what are you going to do when you run out of things to talk about or write about with sex? Which on one hand, I'm like, you sort of don't run out because there's like infinity number of humans in the world having sex and you can always ask them about what their sex lives are like. On the other hand, that is like, (laughs) if I run out of topic ideas, maybe I'll just like let the last fuck as a sex columnist knock me up and then I'll become a mommy blogger. And then I'll have a whole new career. I think that's things to worry about and think about. (laughs) I think you'd be awesome at that. And then I'll come knocking on your door and I can write for Romper. Yeah. I Not mean, yet, though. <laughs> <laughs> I think and, and I think it's also an interesting time to write about like mother's issues because not only because of Trump, but I just feel like there's a lot of intersection yeah. between like mother's issues and like general feminist issues that I didn't really know about before mm-hmm. I got pregnant. Um, like women moms in the workplace, like among other things, but also I just like I don't know, it's. This is like a very minor example, but no one gets up for me on the subway, which completely blew my mind. Do you think people just don't know you're pregnant? That's what everyone says. I feel like I look like I'm pregnant. So (laughs) funnily enough, when I was sitting waiting because I hadn't met you in person Mm -hmm. yet, um, when I was sitting waiting for people walking in the door here at Panoply's offices, um, I was sitting there with my producer, Alana, being like, is that? No, 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 no. That person. Wait, could that person be pregnant? And all of a sudden I was in that weird state where I was like evaluating each woman's body to try to figure out if she how pregnant she looked or if she looked pregnant. You were playing Guess the Pregnant? Yeah. Guess the Pregnant. Which then I realized I was like, that's a really inappropriate (laughs) game to be playing, isn't it? (laughs) But I will say that that's why I was like, I think. But I actually wasn't completely positive. Which was why, obviously, I was kind of like, are you EJ? Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's like a tough thing to negotiate because you don't want to go up to every woman who like looks like she had a burrito and be like, hey, congratulations. Right. Have like, a seat. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you say anything when people don't get up on the subway for you? I do. <laughs> what do you say? What do you do? Oh, I'm a major dick about it. Because um, <laughs> it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to be standing there. Um, I So one time... Um, I was making a beeline for a seat that had just opened up and this woman was making a beeline for the same seat and I pointed at my stomach and I was like, really? Like, are you really going to do this? And she was like, I'm sorry. Like, I, I didn't see you. And I was just like, it's fine. Did was, she get up and let you sit? Yeah, of course she did. You you can't guilt. Another time I laughed in a woman's face. It's always a woman too, which is like the weird thing. Men always give up their seats. Women don't. It's this weird, like paternalistic thing. Or do you think it's just that men are just giving up their seats for ladies, period? Do you think so? Do you get seats on the subway? Yeah, sometimes. Really? <laughs> Maybe I look just, pregnant. Just I don't know. 
<laughs> Men will sometimes offer, I think, out of a chivalry thing. I will say that I don't always think about it when I'm like, like if I'm walking on, and I vaguely sense a woman roughly my age. Oh, my God. You know what? I have a horrible story about this. <laughs> I remember one time that I was in a bad fucking mood and this lady like shoving me aside and me shoving her back, sitting down. And I look up and she is like an extremely pregnant person and the look of horror on every face around me. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Please sit down. So like I was basically that woman mm-hmm. and I felt like the biggest dick on the planet. Did you say and I was. Um, well, I was just like, I'm so sorry. And I think she was just kind of like, hmm, and like sat down. <laughs> like she wasn't like, that's okay. Like, I don't think she said a single word to me. I was just like, <laughs> and just like everybody just like looking. Did they say anything? Or they were, they were just like judgmental? No, but I mean, I like, it was kind of like, excuse me. You know, like I was like, I was uh-huh. like very visibly being like shoving back. And then I just saw everybody staring at me with like these super wide eyes. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I think in your defense, it's a tough line to negotiate, like whether between. Well, being... I just didn't look. Now, oh, obviously, okay. <laughs> I look much more carefully when I'm like, get out of my. Oh, wait, who are you? What are you? What is your life? But like if you do see like you don't want to be too deferential or you don't want to make any assumptions that they want to be treated like differently. Yeah. Like I tweeted about this and and one of my friends said, like, I don't. I don't do that because I was told I don't give up my seat for women on pregnant women on the subway because I was told that that was sexist by another woman that I work with and patronizing. And I was like, I mean, I guess I see where you're getting that. But like, yeah, I, I think I don't know. You kind of want to negotiate. You don't want to be too deferential. You don't want to be too yeah. patronizing. But like, you also want to be respectful. It seems like asking, would you like to sit is never a bad question because someone can say no to that. Right. Yeah. Have you ever used the pregnant card? Oh, a million times. Are for what? Well, for the subway, first of all. That okay, was just yeah. an excuse to be like, bitch. <laughs> to, yeah, to get out of social situations all the time. Oh, my God. I do it constantly with my husband. He's. I haven't cleaned the litter box in seven months because it's seven. <laughs> what to expect when you're expecting that you shouldn't. And so, like, or, like, and when I want to, when he's like, this house needs to be clean, I'm just like, pregnant. <laughs> They're just like, tired. Yeah, pregnant, tired, sorry. <laughs> Why? Because litter is like too dangerous to touch when you're pregnant. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's ostensibly a reason for it, but like, it's not a very it's not like I adhere to all the pregnancy rules. <laughs> like, you're like, look, I can't get near the litter box, but I am going to sit over here and eat some soft cheese. Yeah, exactly. That's very reasonable in my mind. That is exactly what I do. You're making yeah. a, you're making a human life. You're busy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so fuck you if you judge that. <laughs> is there any other important things I should know about pregnancy? Horrific things that happen. Things I should enjoy before I get pregnant. Things that you should enjoy before you get pregnant. I mean, all the stuff that you can't have, like the the alcohol, the sushi. Oh, my God, I miss sushi so fucking much. I miss sushi more than I miss, like, comfortable sex. <laughs> like, <laughs> definitely. And I hate, and the weird thing is I hated sushi before I got pregnant. Really? Now all I want is sushi. Yeah, I miss it more than booze. I miss, um, I don't know, I have dreams where I smoke cigarettes um, even though I didn't smoke. And so I guess like that's something else. Your imaginary self has become like this crazy debauched, like hardcore sex, wants to smoke cigarettes and like all these things. It's that you true. Didn't it's even like do. Humphrey Bogart. It's like Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> that's what it is. And I have sex dreams all the fucking time, actually. Like every night, like really vivid sex dreams. And your hormones are just like completely out of whack. How are, are your sex dreams about like specific people and things or just like sex is occurring left and right? Yeah, I would say it's it's about specific people. It's like always people that I wanted to have sex with in high school that I didn't. 
14-year-old boy, look yeah. at this. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's the recurring theme. Definitely. Um, and, and my husband occasionally, but like, yeah, for the most part, the people in high school I wanted to fuck that I didn't. Well, that's it for Sex Lives. Thanks so much for being here, EJ. Thank you for having me. It was so much fun. So just a reminder, if you want to call in with any thoughts about what you heard in this episode, if your experience of pregnancy was like EJ's, what kind of wild, imaginative fantasies you had while you were pregnant, give us a call at our voicemail line, which is 646-494-3590. Sex Lives is produced by Afim Shapiro and Alana Milner. Thanks also to Andy Bowers and Laura Mayer at Panoply. That's all for this week, and we'll talk to you next week.